Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. You can read all of our stuff. We are far more than podcasters. We write uh, several times a week, and you can check it out at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. And we've written plenty about this, but 10 minutes after, and, and I'm not kidding, 10 minutes after the our, we recorded last week's podcast, Michigan announced the hiring of Josh Gaddis as its offensive coordinator. Obviously would have loved to have maybe seen that maybe an hour sooner last week, but we'll talk plenty about Gaddis. We'll talk about uh, you know the two other assistant coaches that they've hired. We'll talk a little bit about recruiting. It is kind of a weird time to talk about recruiting, so uh, as far as specific updates, might be might be a little low on those. And then we'll close with some basketball. We took some reader questions, or I guess I should say listener questions this week on Twitter. Uh, but first, you know, we'll, we'll we'll add some of these questions in because a lot of them were about Gaddis, Josh Gaddis hire. You know, our site we were we were very much. Um, you know, you could kind of see the patterns emerging for who they were looking at their other two assistant coaching opportunities to replace Al Washington and Greg Madison. Uh, Steve, I don't know about you. I was not aware that they were pursuing Gaddis as an offensive coordinator until it was announced. Do you have any intel for how this came about? I know he, he took the, the job as the OC at Maryland to follow Mike Loxley. But was this something that maybe had been in the works for a while, or what prompted this change that, that to outsiders seemed very sudden? I mean, Harbaugh pretty much laid it out on his podcast what happened. This was this all happened in a matter of hours. Hmm. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, you know that he, I mean, Gaddis was uh, headed to Maryland. You know, and Michigan caught wind of it and said, "Hey." I think we want this guy, so let's go get him. And then yeah. they did. I mean, it's really that. Sometimes it's that simple. Okay. You know, it's like it's not this big juicy story. I mean, because they did. They they're the ones that laid it out. It caught us off guard for sure, right? I mean, yeah. we were we were recording, uh, as I said on the board and I think on Twitter. I love that it happened right as we was as I was specifically saying that Harbaugh is open to changes. He's not as stubborn against adaptation as people say he is. This is yet another example of that. Maybe the biggest example. Yeah, probably the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so that storyline can go away forever. Um, so Yeah, uh, that's true. Interesting hire. Great hire, from my, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it's nice. yeah. Uh, they have an offensive coordinator who could be one of their best recruiters, if not their best now. Mm. That's a change from the past. Big change from the past. That's valuable. Um, you know, and, and sort of that young and up, up and coming, you know, this is a, obviously all with all three of these new hires, uh, a big youth movement on the staff, which as somebody who uh, covers recruiting and realizes how important it is, I think it was huge uh, for them to go this route with all three of their hires, because I do believe all three of these guys have a chance to be Gaddis has already proven himself. Right. The other two have been on sort of a, a lower scale or, uh, you know, not as big a uh, stage to show their abilities on the recruiting trail, but I think both are very, very capable of becoming that. So, um, you know, but with Gaddis specifically, 
Yeah, I mean, he's handing over the keys, as he said, to the offense. I think Gaddis has gone on the record a few times now as saying like that he's he's in full control here. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, it's like I, the one thing, though, I don't know if you agree with me or not, is like I'm not of the idea that Michigan needs a complete overhaul offensively. Like I definitely think there are things that need to be done differently and that can be done differently, especially when you consider the personnel they have. But as far as like – that like it, it's as if people believe that like nothing is working. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand. I didn't. I really don't get that. I'm interested to see exactly how much does change. Um, yeah, stacking the box and running it up the middle and, and making it predictable. You know, yeah, that doesn't work. But I also know that uh, giving Ben Mason the football, for instance, was one of the primary reasons Michigan beat Michigan State. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, that there, that smash mouth ability can still be really, really valuable when you consider, uh, the effort it takes to wear down opposing defenses. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, again, I, they're obviously they're going to keep running the football. Uh, I'm just really interested to see, you know, and I know the speed and space stuff has people like really, really excited again. You know, and, and, and they do have and they do have a roster right now that's yes. conducive to that to being able to uh you know utilize that kind of stuff, especially more of the younger guys on the roster, I think. I mean, you know, I look at Black, Collins and Peoples Jones as really what you would consider more of the classic Michigan wide receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Um all six two or taller, all two hundred yeah, you know, like fifteen the, or bigger. Yeah, you think of those guys like the Arringtons and Manninghams and Marquise Walkers and David Terrell types. You know, that's the kind of receivers that have thrived at Michigan for years. Uh, you know, a few of the younger guys they're bringing in are definitely more of the – I don't even know who you'd compare them to. I don't really see any Steve Breston. You know, I think Breston was even more of a receiver than some of these guys are, you know. But um, so, like, what exactly speed and space entails and how they're going to go about it I think is going to be really interesting because, like I said – uh, I think there are many aspects of Michigan's offense, the way that they run it, that is still really uh, very effective. Especially, you know, you're returning four of your five offensive line starters, and a quarterback would be the first time I think they've had a returning starter at quarterback. Well, Spate was a returning starter, wasn't he? And then he got hurt. But mm-hmm. um, returning so starter who lost his like six top receivers, but right, yeah, right. So. Um, I mean, you know, we don't always have all the answers. I'm as interested as many people, uh, many like fans out there, I guess, are are to see what exactly this means and how this is, what the, what it'll mean and what kind of impact it'll have on the offense. Does it, you know, I don't know. It's just really, it's really intriguing. Uh, I, like I said, I like some of the stuff that they have done offensively, but I do think a tweak. Uh, or maybe a little bit more was necessary, and I do. I think it'll be more effective at getting some of those guys the ball a little bit more. Well, yeah, and I think I'm with you in some senses that I don't think the offense need needed this like drastic change. I do think it needed change, 15 points against Florida, because I think one thing to keep in mind with the Peach Bowl is that's pretty much what your offense offensive personnel was going to be next year. Because Juwan Bishop Beatty sat out and Karan Higdon sat out. And you saw they did not, other than that one Christian Turner, uh, I, I believe it was a it was an end-around type run, but whatever the whatever the 41-yard t- 
touchdown was. But, but aside from that, they didn't really run the ball well at all. And it was painfully clear, at least from, from where I was sitting and, and talking to some of the players after the game, you know, they, they want to get better at running, but they might want to lean more on passing. I think one thing, you know, people people seem to really forget, Stephen, I know you know this, you know, it's like they put up 38 points on, on Wisconsin. They put up, they, you know, they beat Michigan State by double digits. They put up 42 on Penn State. Yeah, but it, Zach, those aren't big games anymore. Remember? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> those aren't big games now because Michigan won them. So those Michigan don't won count them by as big games. Yeah, yeah they won by combined like ninety nine <laughs> points or something. Those don't count anymore. I see. So, Understood. So anyway, right. in the medium games, <laughs> the offense did well. Yeah, no, but sure. but there is something to be said, you know, because here's the thing. I think it was quietly a very savvy move by Gaddis because you look at this offense. I do think. It's going to become a really passing heavy offense and a good one too. You know, I mean, Jawan Bushel Beatty, I think was a was a had made a lot of progress this year, but he was never a very good pass blocking tackle. He was great at run blocking, and I think he got a lot better as pass blocking. But it was always, I mean, I remember, you know, you'd look at the PFF splits, and it was like he was like the best run blocker on the team, and like the worst pass blocker among every Big Ten team with a winning record. It was just like, it was just one of those things. So so they return their four best pass-blocking linemen. They get another year. I mean, you're talking about Bredesen being a fourth-year starter, Cesar Ruiz being a two-and-a-half-year starter, um, you know, Michael Nwainu being another two-and-a-half-year starter, and and John Runyon Jr. being a fifth-year senior. You know, so it's, it's going to be a, a kind of offensive line that can create time. I think in August, Michigan... If I can be frank, I think they were worried about their offensive line pass protecting. And so I think they designed a little bit more of a run-heavy scheme because you look at Karan Higdon, you look at Chris Evans, those are no, were known commodities that you wanted to um, uh, highlight, I should say. And, and obviously Evans got hurt, never quite, I don't think, fully got back into things. And Higdon faded a little bit down the stretch. I don't know if teams were premeditating some of those plays or what. But it was one of those things they they chose back when they were designing the playbook and like really hammering the everything home, you know, with three or four weeks in fall camp, they wanted to be a run first offense. Well, now you know it'd be hard. I'd be, it'd be hard for me to imagine they're going to be a run first offense based on who they have, you know. And so I think I think there are already going to be some changes, but I think this was a really good hire because. Gaddis, even though he's young, he's on the rise. He has goals bigger than Michigan. Mm-hmm. He's also shown it. I mean, go look at, I mean, even Western Michigan, I think he got a 1,000-yard receiver. Penn State, I mean, how many times have we talked about how those receivers just, you know, really made that offense hum? You know, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Hamilton, uh, Saeed Blacknail, I think, uh, yeah. And then Juwan Johnson had a great sophomore season or great great season in 2017 didn't didn't do so well in 2018. I mean, it's hard not to say Gaddis was a huge part of Penn State winning that Big Ten title and winning 11 games the next year. He was the pass game coordinator. What did they do best? You know, they had Saquon Barkley. He was he was exceptional, but they also passed the ball really well and against against teams that and in games that maybe you wouldn't expect, uh, you know, a quarterback like Trace McSorley to throw for so many yards. So and then and then this year. I don't know how you could argue. I mean, he turned out part with help turned Alabama into the sixth ranked passing offense in the country. 
I mean, Alabama, I don't know the last time they ranked that high in passing offense. If I don't know if they ever have. And you had Judy. You know, it helps to have <laughs> really talented players, but Judy, consensus All-American. Tua, consensus All-American. You know, talent helps, but Gaddis, I felt like, was a big part of that. And so, you know, I think, I think it look, you know, Papa T-Man asked, uh, where do you see the offense going with Gaddis at the helm? Probably where it would have gone without him, but maybe you get a, a, a fresh set of ideas for how to like open things up, so to speak, or or maybe you have, maybe he's he's going to find a different way to use Ronnie Bell than that one end around move that teams were basically seeing coming, or or maybe you find a way to make Donovan Peoples Jones Offensive Player of the Year because he has that kind of that kind of raw talent. So I don't know if it's going to be. It, it, like you, I mean, nobody nobody knows until it happens. Uh, but you know, the fact that he's done it at big time programs, I feel like you have to consider this like an you know A or A plus type of hire, because even even though he hasn't called plays before, he's been around, he's been in these rooms of these really great offenses that have that have you know hung banners and won titles. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. I, I, with Bama, it's like it's always hard to know like who's the one. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're they're just always you know. I mean, they're it's Alabama. Uh, I know that's really the only way you can describe Alabama anymore is to say it's Alabama. But, but their offense uh, definitely changed this year. I, Loxley I was part of it. Tua was part of it. But there's I can't imagine Gaddis wasn't part of it. I agree. Uh, and so yeah, I mean, speed and space. <laughs> right i don't know it's like there's no really no other it's it's we just have to see it for ourselves and you know does this mean that a a giles jackson or a, or a sane Rastill is like more apt to maybe being an instant impact guy this year i mean hmm. you'd have to think possibly right uh yeah or will they effectively use ambry thomas if they throw him on the offensive side of the ball at all which that you know because again like i said i like a lot of, about what michigan actually did offensively this year but there were definitely were some things, and I do think that was the biggest weakness. I mean, right now, I mean, can't you got to agree? If you're Chris Evans, you might be licking your chops right now. I mean, yeah. he seems like a guy who is primed to finally maybe be used. His first words were speed and space. Yeah, like finally be used and consistently in a way, you know, where he can do a lot of damage because you talk about a guy who's dangerous in the open field. I mean, we we've been talking about this for over a year now. Like as a guy that like. We just couldn't figure out, you know, why they were only giving them the ball in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, they'll occasionally try to give them the ball in some other ways, but not nearly enough, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and so, you know, I think there's that's the that's the silver lining and the good thing here is that a even a partial revamp is not going to slow down the progression of the offense next year because they already kind of have the pieces for a, you know, this isn't like they, you know, it's not like they're, uh, I mean, they do run three tight end sets, but you you get what I'm saying. It's not like yeah, they're yeah. reinventing the wheel here as far as like with the roster. They already have a roster that can adapt to this type of change, you know, yeah. so. Um, well, it's not like they've never gone empty backfield or they've never gone four wide. Right. You know, it's like they it, it they've done it, but maybe I I wonder, and it, this might be worth you know maybe studying these sorts of transitions. But when that becomes your offensive identity, you know that kind of approach to the game 
how does that impact how those plays work? Because I remember, I mean, was it Notre Dame? They went tempo, they went empty backfield, and they scored 10 points on offense. And so, you know, maybe maybe they were kind of putting a, a square peg into a round hole, but now, you know, maybe they have they have a few months to kind of shape what they want this offense to look like, and then that can be their um, their game plan identity, so to speak. But I, I will say Gaddis, you know, I think he was on the uh, John Jansen's podcast coming out of, you know, the, the team podcast or whatever. It's, you know, he kind of pointed out, it's up to the players. You know, it's not like there's no... There's no offensive guru who just comes and instantly makes everybody amazing. You know, uh, uh, Lincoln Riley and McVeigh might be might be two player or two coaches who can kind of get more out of people. But it really, you know, he wants a player driven offense, and I think the players, you know, I, I just looking at social media and things, it seems like, you know, these receivers and, and Shea Patterson are just kind of itching a little bit to to maybe maybe look a little bit more I don't know if modern's the right word but more 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 savvy, more innovative. You know, maybe they have stuff that other teams haven't seen before. It's been a while since Michigan was really that kind of team. Well, and yeah. You you mentioned Lincoln Riley, but like, and like you know, there's no doubt the guy's a good coach, but he's had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray to run his offense too, which that plays good? exactly <laughs> plays exactly into what Gaddis says though about when it's up to the players yeah it's player driven offenses absolutely you know and like so um yeah you know it's like these guys aren't just like it's more than just having some guy who can like draw some stuff on a board i mean you've played madden ever most of our listeners i would imagine have played madden or some football game you can it's not like there's one automatic play if it was they would have figured it out by now that like just every no defense can defend it's about executing in the situation you're in, I don't know, man. Like the three, uh, the three go routes with the flag and the and the slot is always like it's always money, no matter what. At least in old the old NCAA football, that was that play was always money. At least the guy in the flag. They've made the those plays harder to, to execute right, time and I again. <laughs> but you know, but either way, though, it's like he's dead on when he says you know that it's going to be you know, and I think that putting the pressure on on a group of players that are have been around they want to take that next step i think that's kind of the right route to go too. well and and the other thing i maybe this excites the fans maybe it doesn't but i would imagine Tariq black nico collins and don peoples jones are all thinking they're all hoping next year is their last year at michigan because they're they're that talented and if they can put up the numbers and and deliver a title and do all this stuff you know their their draft stock's going to improve and I'm sure Shea Patterson's thinking this. It's almost like you have like the entire offense is in like a contract year, you yeah. know. It's, so it's Fair. and yeah. and so you know reason to be optimistic. I, I would say, it, you know, you, if you want to be cautious, if you want to do more, say less, improve it on the field, that's that's fine. But there's evidence that Gaddis has has been a part of some great passing offenses in a passing game coordinating role, and he's coached some really really talented receivers. I mean. Uh, is it is it Hamilton that's like starting in the NFL already? You know, it's just yeah. it's. Oh man, yeah. Chris Godwin. I mean, so no, he's had his track record at Penn State is exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Godwin. I think he was even there with Allen Robinson too. 
2014 was his first year, so I don't think so. That'd have been close then. Yeah, he came with Franklin from Vanderbilt. Okay. So, but Wait, anyway, wasn't Allen Rob the Stribling play? That wasn't. That was 2013. Oh, jeez, man, that was. It feels like it was yesterday. I feel like that was <laughs> not that long ago. Yeah, Channing um, Stribling says the same thing. Right. Chris, yeah. Right. Chris um, Godwin. Chris Godwin, though. Yeah. Deshaun Hamilton. Um, Gesicki even. I know he wasn't the tight ends coach, but still, you know, Gesicki he's drawing up block. those passing routes. I mean, you yeah, know, Gesicki couldn't block to save his life. So he was really basically a receiver that would put his hand down on the ground every once in a while, you know, so <laughs> also um, starting in the NFL. Exactly. And and so he's a I believe he's probably got a really good eye for talent. But but B, he's also obviously coached up some of these guys. I mean, Chris Godwin is uh, a guy that mid middle of the road ranking. You know, and they turned him into a, a stud and quickly. And now he, he had no problem transitioning to the NFL at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe this is a story that will we'll outline all the different receivers, but it's it's basically every year he's got someone with at least 750 yards receiving. We'll see how it goes with so many different people to throw to this year. But uh, hard for me to to parse through this hiring and, and see a downside for Michigan and what Michigan wants. I mean, they, I agree. What, I did, what were the fans, is, what were the yeah. fans uh, torch and pitchforking for? Oh, someone young, someone innovative, someone who's adept in the passing game, someone who's been a part of some championship caliber offenses. Oh, okay. They went four for four there. So, yep. you know, anyway, there are other hires made. Uh, Anthony, apparently it's Campanelli. It's not spelled yep. like Campanelli, but it's yeah. pronounced Campanelli. Uh, out of Boston College, uh, has known Partridge for decades, you know, and then yeah. and then um, Sean Nua, out of Arizona State, uh, originally came out of BYU, also coached at Navy. He's the defensive line coach. Campanelli is the safeties coach. These are two that maybe the name didn't, you know, it's not like the fans weren't like holding the party like they might have been for Gaddis. But they're they're younger. We we and we've talked about this. You know, sometimes, you know, you get a younger coach on his way up. Is he going to do the grind that you need to recruit? You know, especially at school like Michigan that kind of faces a lot of uphill battles in recruiting. You know, um, you want someone. You know, maybe maybe someone younger and on the way up is going to put in the extra effort. You know, um, I don't know. I obviously they like what they've gotten from some of their young coaches, or else they wouldn't have hired three coaches under thirty eight. So what do you think of Campanelli and Nua hires? Uh, you know, there were other names tossed around, but but these are the two they got. And my understanding is these were these guys were pretty close to the top of their board. You know, not not like they had a recruiting board, but these were guys that were some of the first people they contacted, it seems. Yeah, I think Campanelli was a plan A mm-hmm. guy for sure. I think Nua was way up there. I mean, we knew that they wanted, would have liked to at least gotten to speak to Jerry Montgomery. Yeah, Packers who, D-line uh, coach, yeah. Yeah, who stuck with the Packers uh, even after the McCarthy firing. I think they're going to hang on to him. Um, he'd have been an amazing hire, both coaching and recruiting-wise. Uh, but I do think that they – I think Nua, again, so we'll just say Campanelli was a, an a, a plan A hire is a guy that they have high, high expectations for um, both on the recruiting trail and in the film room. I mean, his track record at Boston college 
is excellent in the defensive backfield. Um, Boston College, quietly, man, like seems to have put out like a pretty good group of coaches and players, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I mean, going back to Don Brown, but even since then, mm-hmm. uh, Campanelli, a primary developer of uh, was it Hamp Cheevers, okay, uh, a name name of the year candidate. Uh, who I think recently declared for the NFL draft and is uh, a guy that I know pro football focus specifically is really, really high on pro football focus, really high on Campanelli period. Uh, we named him 24 seven, named him defensive back coach of the year in the country in mm. 2017. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. So, um, and even better when you consider not saying that like, I mean, our guys, obviously, like they do their homework when, you know, as much as anybody else can, if not, and probably more. Uh, but when you're that, when you're doing, uh, when you're giving a guy from Boston College a position coach of the year, you must be doing something really, really, really well to get noticed enough to be yeah. out a guy. Yeah, I mean, our guys LSU are, or, you right. know, no dig, at, no dig at our reporters at all, but they're based in Tennessee. Right. Our site as a, as a you know, as an entity puts a big emphasis on the big name programs because it's not like it's not like we have as many beat reporters covering Wake Forest or Boston College as we do Michigan and Ohio State. Right. So yeah, you do have to get you do have to do something else to get noticed. Exactly. So that yeah, so to to be that recognized I think is a excellent uh indicator for what he's capable of. And I think I posted after the hiring was or I think it was before the hiring was made official uh, is that, you know, we talked about the connection with Partridge. Uh, you know, I was told that Campanelli's potential on the recruiting trail could rival that of Partridge's if he's given a big enough stage, which hmm. that should be music to anybody's ears because Partridge is to this day right now still Michigan's best recruiter. So, um, and one of the best in the country, hands down. So, you know, there's that upside. Again, I think they feel like they got a potential all-star coach in that regard. And then with uh, with Nua, he's the one we know the least about, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know Arizona State tried like crazy to keep him, which should be a good indicator, you know, of his. What guys, other people want that's that's for sure. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, and and you know, I, really, it was a lot. I had to do a lot of reading about him, and and the the consensus was his players loved him. I know there were a couple of really really good articles uh, during his time at Navy. I think. Uh, New Matolo, the head coach at Navy, I think was quoted as saying that I think every offseason that Nua was there, there were calls from other programs to try to get him. So that's the other thing, too, is this, I know he left Arizona State after only one year, but this is a guy that stuck with Navy for seven uh, when it sounds like he had opportunities elsewhere almost every year. So, mm-hmm. um, And the only reason he went to Arizona State was because his family's in Arizona? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So, so so he's leaving that too. Um, again, I, I think as a whole, again, I think the biggest takeaway from me for me is that I think that Michigan's staff as a whole on the recruiting trail just got way, way better. Um, not to say that so obviously Al Washington is going to be a really good recruiter for Ohio state. I mean, there's zero doubt there. I mean, he was already a great recruiter for Michigan. He's from Columbus, you know, so there's no doubt that he's going to make it harder than ever, maybe for Michigan to break into Ohio. Right. I think that's going to be a really big challenge for them. And it, 
it's something that would not have been a big as, as big a challenge if he had stayed. Um, but over like overall, you know, I mean, they're pretty loaded on the recruiting trail now. They are. Uh, well, like, you know, look at what Sharon Moore did. Tight ends coach from Central Michigan gets himself, you know, the, the I guess I will say the recruiting momentum that Michigan has, goes into Oklahoma and beats out Alabama and two in-state powers, one of which has his brother for Daxton Hill. Right. You know, and Al Washington opened up the Ohio. So, yeah, you know, and Al Washington was at Cincinnati and Boston College before. Right. So it's so these yeah yeah so I agree, um, you know recruit again like that's where like I don't know recruiting is so important it's the lifeblood of like any program and uh, so I think making like but there is a fine line though where it's like obviously you still have to have guys that can coach you can't just hire you know some programs can maybe get away with it in one spot where they'll hire like. <laughs> A high school coach in a, at a pipeline, you know, which for in Michigan's case, like Michigan's one of the few where it, it worked out to a best case scenario with Partridge, right? I mean, yeah, at the time, he, he's a coach, coach, you know, right at the time, you could, I mean, granted, they only uh, had hired him, I think, as like a recruiting coordinator or a personnel guy right. to begin with, but even at the time, that was what I would what you would classify as maybe a little bit of a risky hire with no track record at the, at the college level. Um, and now with the rule, as far as like, uh, if you, you can't hire a, you know, Michigan couldn't go in and hire a coach from like Detroit King, let's say, uh, and recruit, they would not be allowed to recruit Detroit King unless the, the coach has like an on field, responsibilities so they can't load their analyst staff with a bunch of like pipeline to like you know take like the 15 best high school programs in the country (laughs) and they hire all their coaches and put them on their as their analysts you know and so like like i know maryland just did that with elijah brooks who's uh was the former head coach at damatha you know which is like a one of the huge powerhouses in the the dmv area you know it's like there's more pressure now like you have to make sure like there's a greater emphasis on, on balance between a guy that can recruit at an elite level, but also can coach because you're taking a huge risk by handing a, a full position uh, to a high school coach that we all know you're hiring because they're going to probably help you get some kids from the school that they used to coach at. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think Michigan did a great job in balancing that here. Cause I think that all three of these guys, again, Gaddis has the track record. I mean, I think he's in the top 25, for the cycle. Yeah, he reeled in two five stars for Alabama this year. One a receiver and the other one a defensive end out of New Jersey. It seems like he he's adept and I think he did this at Penn State too because I believe he was actually their recruiting their offensive yeah. recruiting coordinator if I'm not mistaken and Yeah, he played a huge role. And and so the DMV, the Philly, New Jersey area um you know kind of a little bit of that that mid-Atlantic area seems like he's a lot of people like him out there is from what I can tell. Great. Uh, great indication as far as how effective Gaddis is, was to go to the Penn state message board after Michigan hired him because mm-hmm. the reaction was very negative as far as like, Oh crap, they got Gaddis or something like that. You know, that was a ge- that was the general sense. Right. I mean, Ohio state's message board was like, 
well, shoot, you know, and I don't, I don't right. think they're worried, right? Because they keep winning. But at the same right. time, it's like I think there was a thought in in all of, well, maybe not 2015, but the previous ones. What would Michigan look like if its offense matched its defense? And I think those two programs saw enough from Gaddis, right, that they think that that could be coming. I agree. So, but here's the thing. I mean, I'm. You can't just sit here and say, so I do think that Michigan got better on the recruiting trail. That I do know. Still, well, the jury's going to be out as far as on the field goes, right? Because mm-hmm. um, Greg Madison was a really good defensive coach. I mean, there's no way around that. Was it? I think it all happened the way, I don't know. From what I know, it all kind of sounds like this all maybe happened the way that Michigan, it happened in a way that Michigan was okay with is the sense I got. Now, again, that might just be sour grapes. And unicorns. Yeah, yeah. You know, like this, this is, this is what we wanted. But you know what? Um, There's something to be said. I mean, this was a guy who was supposed to ride off into the sunset. That was, that was his, I don't think he specifically used those words, but like when we talked to him, he really, as, as reporters in these interviews, he more than anybody else, it seemed like this was his final stop. Clearly something changed his mind. You know, and in that case, if you're Michigan and suddenly you have some, you know, it's just one of those things. Zach, the yeah. money, the money changes his mind. <laughs> but don't you, think he's, you don't think he's made enough money? Do we know it his contract like yet? Sounds like, no, nah, it sounds like he's going to make quite a bit more money at Ohio State. Because, yeah, the, uh, he's repla- he replaced Shiano. So yeah. Shiano made 1.5. So I mean, there you go. <laughs> if he even makes close to that. I mean, that's part of more. it. I think that's a lot more than he well, that's, I mean, that's always going to play a role, though, man. I mean, yeah. you can't, like, that, right? I mean, that's the other thing is, like, you know, of course, it was, like, traitor, you know, how could he do I don't this? think he was. You know, it's like, I hate that. <laughs> no, I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. Um, it's it's on the surface, again, on the surface, and this is what I explained on the board. Some people didn't seem to understand this. On the surface, I get where it's, like, how could you leave Michigan to go coach at Ohio state. But I think somebody on the board, and again, it's a super, it's a super simple analogy, but it, it, it fits and it makes total sense. Ford's paying you, you know, $50,000 a year to do make parts or whatever you do or whatever. And then Chevy comes by and says, Hey, we'll give you 75,000 a year to do the same thing. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more responsibility too. Well, and that's the thing You're is he was, it. yeah, he was coming from, I mean, it's, it's always a little different. I don't think people totally realize this because generally this isn't how people work in the real life. He had, a, let's say he had a CEO job and then he goes to another company that's smaller for the same job or has an executive type job. But then he's then he takes a lower job when they switch, you know, who's who's the boss. Like, right. So he went from NFL DC to Michigan DC to Michigan D line. Yeah, if someone as good as Ohio State offers a DC job, you know, and more money, as you said, you know, why? In some ways, why not? I think we talked about this last week, but um, I don't think he's a guy that was gonna like if like USC, you know, I don't think he was a guy that was gonna go all the way across the country hmm. to finish out his coaching career necessarily, even with the bump in title and maybe the raise. But like for a guy at his age, like Ohio State, reasonable distance away you know, gets the bump in salary, like, cause I think he has his family in Michigan still or is in Michigan. Right. So, hmm, okay. um, 
I don't know. I thought somebody mentioned, I don't know. I don't really keep track of where these people's families live on the outside, but I believe I had read that a lot of his family I think is in Michigan. kids might still. Yeah, that's yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, so with that in mind, you know, I think logistics probably played a little bit of a role too, right? Like, like I said, I don't know if he's going down to like Texas A&M, you know, or Florida, if they're, if they're, if they came calling uh, compared to like Ohio state where it's like, okay, it's still within, like, I'm still close enough to my family. Similar uh, job, I would think, too. Like, you don't have to, like, right. totally change who, where no. you're recruiting and everything and all that. Exactly. Um, I agree. So, anyway, that was that was more of a last week discussion. Uh, you know, to round out this recruiting impact, think uh, as you – I mean, you know, recruiting, it's not just being at the best school. And, like, like to be a good recruiter, it's not just, like, having this amazing pedigree. You, it's it's like the extra phone call. It's like the extra, yep. the extra yep. attention to detail, the extra trip. You know, even if it means like a red eye flight or a, a late night drive. It's it's a lot of this stuff. I, I don't want to say older coaches can't do it because that's proven to be untrue in a lot of cases. But I think I think Michigan wanted they wanted grinders absolutely. I think that's you know Michigan without that many five stars in the in the area. You know, and obviously five stars in the area. You know, there's a lot of the 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 school to five star ratio in the Midwest is very different. You know, it's just there's not a lot of good talent to go around. There's a ton of upper Midwest schools. So anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. But it's it's a lot of uphill battles for Michigan. A lot of out of state recruiting. You know, a lot of extra effort kind of recruiting battles. I think back to Al Washington and the stuff he did in Ohio. I mean. Some of those guys, like Nolan Rumler, you could see that coming a mile away, but they signed six guys from Ohio, and I don't think they all grew up Michigan fans. You know, it's right. it. So there's, and and I don't think their friends were Michigan fans or their family were. You know, so it's and then I think about like Partridge with the Georgia pipeline, and you notice with these with these pipelines or these successes in uh, kind of hostile recruiting grounds. It's a lot of times the young coach is leading the charge because it just takes that much extra effort. Big time. That's what I was going to say. I think uh, so passion and aggressive passion and aggression are like, and I mean aggression as far as like aggression in pursuing. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not grabbing a kid by the shoulders and saying, go to our school. You yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> But uh, passion, aggression, and then there's also, and this is always the, to me, what always separates the goods from the greats is there's like that, just that art to communicating and connecting with kids and their families and the high school coaches even. And, uh, you know, I think that's something too, I, I have to believe, you know, I've never actually explicitly been told, but I assume that that's also something that when they're evaluating the, some of the guys that they're looking at, uh, I do that do think that plays a role in, uh, you know, it could be one of those factors where if you're down to two guys and they're all really similar, you know, there might be that guy who just, you talk to his, you talk to some contacts or references or whoever, some coaches, and they might be able to give you an idea of like, yeah, this guy's got like kind of that special ability on the recruiting trail where you can close or you can maintain those connections, you know, like, and again, where you go back to Partridge, you know, with like recruitments, like, the Aubrey Solomon recruitment or mm-hmm. uh, well, some, a lot of the other, like not really Rashawn, but um, you know, some of these other bigger recruitments that, that he's won for them, 
You know, I know Aubrey Solomon left, and that it's so irrelevant. That's not the point. The point <laughs> is about the actual recruitment itself, not yeah. what they do after you're done recruiting them. Then it's out of a lot of times. You know, the primary recruiter is not even your position coach, so it doesn't matter if the kid pans out or not. Like winning a heated recruiting battle is still winning a heated recruiting battle, mm-hmm. uh, because more often than not, those elite guys do pan out, right? So, um, so there's like there is that art to it still, and uh, I think that. I believe they must feel like they've gotten three guys again. Gaddis, like we said, Gaddis has a track record. Campanelli seems like a guy who's going to get it on a bigger stage. And then uh, Nua is young. He seems super energetic. Uh, and those like young, energetic defensive line coaches, a lot of times can end become just seems like the type of guy that becomes a great recruiter. Like, because those guys are, those guys are usually aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, Madison, to his credit, even at his age, was one of the more aggressive recruiters on Michigan staff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so I think that they – I think they got better on the recruiting trail personally. That's not just because they are gaining three and losing two for now, right? We're still kind of – they're Not sure I mean, what's up with the offense, yeah. <laughs> right, well, I mean, as Nick Baumgartner literally just tweeted out, you know, that Michigan only has 10 assistants under formal contract right now. Because so, McDaniels is not and, hired. It, yeah. Exactly. So there's a decision to make in that regard. Uh, I suspect that it'll be whatever they do, which I believe we're thinking is down to what they do between McDaniels and, and Pat Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we'll probably learn soon what the outcome of that is going to be. Uh, you know, but either way, though, I think they got better recruiting wise which is a big part of this whole thing and then i think the jury is out on what Nua can do as a position coach because he's you know yeah. again arizona state had a good defensive line right we, i i think about 18 people tweeted at me that uh, of how well uh, arizona state's defensive line played against michigan state um this year well and that was for a defense that isn't really it's kind of like wisconsin i mean other than jj watt can you name one wisconsin defensive lineman Maybe not off the top of your head. Maybe you can, but maybe not off the top of your head. But that's because they were doing their job for the linebackers. You know, it's just that kind of it's just that kind of defense. Arizona State's wasn't a let's get our defensive ends to get nine sacks kind of kind of defense. So, you know, I think the track the potentials the potentials there. I like going. I like the idea that they went with youth. You know, there were people mentioning like some like not retreads but like guys with Michigan connections that are like 52 <laughs> years old that haven't been in the college game in 10 20 years it's yeah. like those are the type of hires that they'd have to be pretty darn good coaches to overcome what you already know is going to be a uh, some kind of inability on the recruiting trail Mm-hmm. You know, you dig into the NFL, you bring a guy back. That was the one downside to a potential Montgomery hire is I know like as an NFL assistant, you get to spend 10 times more time with your family because you're not out on the recruiting trail. As hard as that is to believe, like for an NFL assistant, you recruiting takes up so much of your time that, you know, is even though the NFL is the pros, like those guys do get to spend way more time with their family than they would because they – Outside of traveling during the season, uh, that whole off season where assistants at the college level are out recruiting half the time, 
probably literally half the offseason they're out recruiting. Right. Those guys get to spend it at home. They get to go in. They go into the office still. But, like, say for with his example, like he lives in Green Bay, right? Like, he does like what a lot of us do. He goes in, he clocks in, he works for however long they want him to work, and then he gets to go home at the end of the day. You know, he's not living out of a hotel for three months out of the off season. you know? So, like, mm-hmm. to bring a guy back out from the NFL, as great as a coach as they could be, uh, I think I think there's just a lot of potential downside to they get out there and think, this sucks, I hate recruiting. You know, and and well, that's why I think it's the little things too, right? And do, do people who have been in the NFL like pick up on, you know, making sure to say hi to the siblings or to you know, it's just it's more than just like doing it and like showing up and meeting and being nice and pitching the program. It's it's with with so many schools competing for so many players. It's I agree. it's an extra. It's a it's a different world. I don't I don't yep. know. It's not for everyone. So, yeah, like I said, when the when the first when Washington and Madison left for Ohio State, my first response to that was every time an assistant coach leaves, doesn't matter who it is. It's always an opportunity. There's always a potential opportunity. Knee jerk reaction to Michigan's three hires is that I think they took advantage of their opportunity. I think they're going to have three guys who are going to work their tails off on the recruiting trail. And that can also become excellent position coaches with two of them already having extensive track records at the college level right Mm -hmm. is that fair i think that's about as good as we can put it well yeah and honestly you know even with nua i believe he had something to do with ziggy ansa at byu you know i think he which somewhere somebody's going he stinks for the lot he's been stinking for the lions you know first round pick First yeah, round pick. Know, you can't. You can't. You can't knock him beyond that. You know. I mean, right. that's and 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 I think with Campanelli as well. And I think this is what has made Partridge, or has allowed Partridge, I should say, to to continue his success as a coach. Like, yeah, he's not like a, a, I don't think he's known as a guru, but at the same time, it's like he's coached a lot of different levels of football, and I think this is something that that works with Beeline too. We can move to basketball in a few minutes is, you know, when you do more with less and you get the most out of players, like I think of like coaching at Navy. I mean, if you're a productive coach at Navy, that that says something because that says to me that you can take players who aren't as fast or as strong and you can find schemes, you can develop drills, you can develop the talent, you know, even if that talent wasn't already there. And now what do you do when you come to a program where there is already talent there? You know, what do you do with, with David Ajabo? What do you do with Julius Welshoff? We had a question about that, about newest player development. Uh, I imagine it, it helped. I don't think they were like, oh, you, you're the you know, player developer. But I think, I think between Nua's, um his morale with players, you know, I think defensive line, it's in a, it's not, not a, I wouldn't say it's in trouble, but it's in an interesting situation in that they had so much attrition the past two years high level attrition that they they're looking for leaders you know we've talked about Carlo Kemp we've talked about uh, Michael Dwumfor emerging obviously Quiddy Pay uh, someone asked about Luigi Villain my assumption is that he's he's still there you know it's just a matter of making sure he's healthy you know before he before he's like really 
considered a part of the two deep. I don't know if you had anything to add on that, but I uh, just everything with him just comes down to like we, you can't effectively answer whether or not he's going to make an impact next year, and because you just need to know if he's going to be a hundred percent the whole time. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's what we talked about. That 2017 defensive line class is looking pretty pretty bad right now for Michigan mm-hmm. uh, in taking eight guys and unless Jeter and Villane work out, which again, they both of them very well could, but both of them, we have not seen anything from either one of those guys, right. which means that as of right now, that Quiddy pay going into their third seasons, that Quiddy pay is the only player out of that list of eight that has made any impact at Michigan. That's yeah. That's potentially like, Really, really, that's bad. You know, when you consider how badly that 2013 offensive line class hurt Michigan, you know, up front, is that what it does is it puts guys in positions to play when they're not ready. You know, it's like I think a Nolan Ulysio, who's on the in the transfer portal now, starting against Florida right. in 2017, exactly. where that really should have been or could have been like a Logan Tooley Tillman or a – Kyle Bosch, you know, or, you know, a third intentional, intentional starter. Exactly. You know, so, um, so with Luigi, yeah. I mean, is, is he, A, is he healthy? If the answer to that is yes, then it, to me, it's a, well, I guess we're going to, we're, we're going to find out if he's going to make an impact. You know, I think he's capable. Yeah. Obviously he was one he was a top 50 guy for 24 seven by the end of the cycle. So there's skills there, Mm -hmm. but you just wonder like, you know, you just we the questions that we don't know are how much of these injuries maybe stunted any potential development. Is he at is he at is he on square one right now, or is he at square three but just hasn't quite been a hundred percent? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's where we don't know, and we'll find out probably like probably after spring ball this year. Yep. So sometimes the best ability is availability. I don't know who said that, but I like that quote, and it's it is true in 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 this case. Uh, but anyway, back to the defensive line, right? It's got a lot of, I mean, it's going to be a lot of new, you know, people who played this year but maybe didn't have the same role. It's going to be new starters. There's going to be new people playing who did not play this year, you know, whether it's the freshman defensive tackles, whether it's Jeter and Valane, whether it's, you know, some of the defensive ends that they redshirted. Um, so it's it's a, it's a place where, you know, having someone as as was pointed out by by one of our listeners has developed before has done more with less and also it's just a person the players rally around i mean you know i think of think back to my sports playing days i'm thinking like when was the last time i liked a coach you know and and, and it's right. like how much harder did you work when you enjoyed being a part of the practices and the drills and the grind and stuff so he seems like to me he seems like a big like team is family kind of guy uh, so that probably ends our assistant coach discussion. Um, I know someone asked someone, you know, let's wait and see what happens with the offensive staff. Um, I, as you said, I think we'll find out soon and then we can really see, okay, is this better or worse than, than this time three months ago or whatever. But, uh, any other recruiting? I know we're probably going to do more of a, on, on the week of signing day, maybe we'll do like a 2019 uh, final thoughts, but is there any any recruiting news, any uh, events or visit weekends coming up that are worth noting? Um, so 
they it sounds like it's weird uh was told today that they're trying to throw together or putting together a junior day this weekend but then another prospect said that they go they're going to a Michigan junior day on the 26th so I don't know if they're doing two hmm. or if somebody said something incorrectly uh I don't know. This is my, I'll be honest though. It's weird. Uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year is winter evaluations because uh, as far as recruiting goes, because I get a good sense of who the priorities are, maybe some under the radar type deals. A um, lot of new offers, you know, so you get some new faces and stuff out there mm-hmm. and you kind of find out who's, who are the guys that we're going to be, you know, writing, 35 updates on over the next like 18 months, you know? Uh, so I, I always like this time of the year. I think I always like, I love the logistical part of it. I'm probably going to do a write up or two in the next couple of days on some things I've liked out of what I've seen so far, this evaluation period and some things that I have not liked at all, which there actually are a couple of things that are kind of bugging me with the way they're going about winter evaluation so far. So um, I, I don't know, look for that, I guess, but, 19 wise i mean it's kind of, we're kind of in a waiting game it's like everyone's like whoa like defensive line guys it's like they didn't have a defensive line coach until about an hour ago so <laughs> it was really hard to answer questions about how are like who are they going to go after to finish out yeah um you know and and yeah with the 19 guys it's it's obvious it's they're close to full because uh, it's you know i can re- i can say this now i guess because we reported it a few days ago you know they're still recruiting keelan robinson alabama commitment uh, I don't think it's a certainty that they're going to take a second running back right now. So to me, that means that either, obviously they love Charbonnet. Uh, I think he'll play next year, but it still kind of is a need in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I think that that shows, I think that goes to show uh, that the numbers are starting to tighten up a little bit. So again, I don't know how many they're going to sign. We'll know after the second signing day, because then we'll know how many they signed. <laughs> but cause that's, I know that's like my big thing, but it is, that's literally the only way we know. Cause it's uh-huh. changed on the final day every year since I've been doing this, but, um, but the numbers are tightening up for sure. Yeah. So yeah. we'll, so we'll see, you know, but uh, otherwise, yeah, winter evaluations, I've been kind of just, I've been posting a lot of updates about just where the coaches have been. That's like my way of like kind of keeping track. Any um, and then, major patterns or notes there? No, I mean you. That's kind of the other flip side is like it's it's never really that complicated either though. I mean hmm. they go to the schools of the guys that they really like, and so like the top targets list we have in 2020. Uh, I'd venture to say they've probably seen every one of those guys so far. If not, uh, if they haven't, they're going to soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll get into it more specifically because, like I said, there are a couple things that I'm like a little questionable on. It's still, it's not over yet, so you know, will things will develop. But there are things like, if you can imagine, I'm already a little iffy on something that Michigan's doing in the 2021 recruiting class. That's <laughs> one of my gripes right now. So, okay. um, <laughs> nice yeah, cryptic which, gripe to tease. You can subscribe, I mean, but, it, but, <laughs> but but that's that's not nobody nobody's gonna really care you know, sure. 2021 okay. at this point but it is one of the things that like i'm i try to be more big picture with some of this stuff and there's just some big picture things that i'm kind of curious about so yeah so that's it we'll see as you said though i mean yes the dead period has ended but michigan was still completing some of its hires and uh so it's 
It's not like there's all these major updates. Plus, they signed 25 recruits in December, and they have two commits. Um, am curious. You know, it's worth keeping an eye on. I, I know some people. I don't think anyone asked this, but people have asked me separately: is, Should Michigan be looking at this transfer portal? Uh, probably got to wait and see how those numbers shake out. And also, but but some needs that they have, you know, probably doesn't hurt to have another defensive lineman. Probably doesn't hurt to have another running back, even though they like who they have in both of those positions. Linebacker uh, might not hurt. Um, but otherwise, I, I mean, this team's relatively equipped, you know, for right. not just this year, but, but the next year. You know, I think... I think it's yeah, they, yeah. Go ahead. They've sniffed around on some grad transfers at a couple of positions. I think there's that defensive tackle from Rice who's mm-hmm. been pretty open with the media, but there have been some other others, a couple of which I'm really not at any liberty to say at this point. But it is something I would just say this: it is something I'd maybe potentially keep an eye on for them uh, going forward. Again, yeah. no guarantees because I don't know. Like the numbers are tight. I'm not sure they know, you know, how they're going to finish things out. But it's definitely something that they've been evaluating in a few different spots. For yeah, sure. were my were my positions of note accurate? I wasn't even listening. Oh, I said running back, defensive line, particularly inside, and then uh, linebacker maybe for for depth. Uh, ready to talk basketball? <laughs> sure, that's fine. Okay. Right. <laughs> but you know, next week we're just going to get questions. Who are those? Who are those graduates? I know. I know. <laughs> uh, so, we'll ignore them. Yeah, <laughs> we never do that. But talking basketball, seventeen and zero, beat Northwestern eighty to sixty. Just cruising. You know, I I did a story yesterday. I actually did the math. They have not even trailed for five total minutes in the second half through seventeen games this year. And and there's been nine games. I mean, ba- basketball is a very back and forth sport. There's been nine games where they didn't trail. Period. I, it's just you know compared to eight games where they they trailed. And I think of those eight, like four of them, they trailed for like a second in the opening three minutes, and then just led the rest of the way. So this is uh really just cruising. I think net rankings they're up to two. AP rankings they're two. Computers seeing a little bit more from other teams, so that I think Ken Palm's got him sixth. Uh, but this is clearly a top-five team, 6-0 in the Big Ten. On path, if they if they can win some of these upcoming games, you know, maybe maybe be in contention for that Big Ten title. It'll be Michigan versus Michigan State. Uh, it seems Maryland is not far behind, but I don't think they've... I don't know if they've been tested in the same way. But we got a question asking... When, I think it was Rick Moody that asked, uh, when will Michigan lose? Will it come this weekend against Wisconsin? They also host Minnesota. They travel to Indiana. They host Ohio State. They travel to Iowa. I mean, really, the rest of the season is is a grind, but it seems like you got to think they're going to lose one of these next five games, I would think. I don't know, I don't know where you sit. Um, do you have a prediction for when that will happen? I've so the biggest reason like I've targeted this game, but the biggest reason why is not because it's Wisconsin so much, but because it's on the road and they had like five days off again. Mm-hmm. And that's just like 
they were playing some poop teams like earlier and they would struggle when they had that full week off. And like, so I know that they're not doing, they're not taking finals right now. It's not the holidays, you know, so it might be a little bit different. Uh, but this is kind of the game I had like winning on the road in the big 10 is it's not going to be easy all year. No, it's, I don't care. it's never you know, easy any year. Right. Even the Illinois game, which again, they kind of, they were, it was one of those games they were in control the whole way, but I think Illinois for uh, uh, stretches of the game gave them a much better battle than I think people anticipated. And obviously their closest game of the year so far was at Northwestern, who is one in five in the conference right now. Right. So yeah. Um, some statistical but, context, if I may, last year they went 33 and eight overall, but they were five and four in Big Ten road games. In 2013, they went 31 and eight overall, and they went uh, four and five in Big Ten road games. Right. So I mean, you're talking like you can win everything, but those Big Ten road games, even even with your with Michigan's best teams, have still been not quite toss ups, but relative toss ups. I mean, ten and ten in those two games. And they're what fifty three and and six in the other games. So yeah, like and look at I just I'm looking at the Big Ten schedule right now or the standings and the only teams in the conference that are above five hundred away for the year and that, so that would you know are Michigan State, Michigan, and Maryland. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's it. Everyone else is either below five hundred or at five hundred. You know, and Purdue's one and four, Indiana's one and four, Minnesota's one and three, hmm. you know, and uh, so it's just, it's never easy to win on the road. You're saying Graham uh, Couch was on to something about those true road games? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, so this is a game that I've kind of circled as far as uh, a potential, not a trap, because like that's a thing. No, no one's looking at, yeah. Right. It's like they're, they're not going to run the table. People have to get used to that. It doesn't like so, but you know what's going to happen is they're going to slip up a couple games, and people are going to say, "Oh, they peaked too early." It's like I, I totally disagree. That being said, and we talked about this last week before the Northwestern game. If Simpson is shooting like that from the outside, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> like the if he's if he plays anything like he did offensively against Northwestern, I, I they could win all these. They could win six or seven more games in a row. I mean, he's I just, averaging 15 points a game in 2019. You know, it's, it's, it's most, a lot of it came in Northwestern, 24 points, but still he was, he, I think he might've, you know, there's a chance he found something offensively lately. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's weird, but it isn't it around this time that it clicked for Derek Walton too. Wasn't it his junior year? Yeah. It was like late and, January. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, and like, uh, I don't remember with, you know, Trey was obviously more, you know, it didn't take him as long. He walked on but, the court, yeah. <laughs> right, but, you know, it's like, this is like, Beeline's had guys that have kind of figured it out around this time, like, every year, you know, and it's like, man, because you you got to consider that, I, you know, I, don't, I think Matthews is in the middle of maybe his worst stretch. Mm-hmm. He's been effective still, but he's been in the middle of his worst stretch of ball in a while. Uh, on the offensive end, his mid-range jumper has completely disappeared. Uh, you know, and, and really the last two games, again, Northwestern Illinois, two of the lower tier teams in the conference, no doubt about it. But right. Teske and Simpson are the guys that are carrying them offensively right now. And uh, it's if those guys, like you know, they just I don't know how you just, I don't know how you uh, how you guard them. It's again very simple stuff, but again, at the end of the day. 
it can be that simple. You know, if a guy like Simpson is shooting like that from the outside or even close to what he's been shooting from the outside, I mean, it opens everything up for everybody. You know, unless teams are going to continue to let him just shoot. You know, that's the flip side where teams may just say he won't do it against us. <laughs> you know, because, like, they know if they close out on him, it's going to open up a whole world of problems for uh, whoever they're playing. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. As far know. as as far as this game, since, you know, when will they lose next? I, I actually don't think it's going to be this weekend. I'll be there. Um, I'll, I've been to the Cole Center. I've seen Michigan, who averages, like, 14 fouls a game under Beeline all time. I, I, I remember them at the Cole Center. They had... Uh, 21 fouls. They had three players foul out, and they lost by four points. And and so it's it's definitely you know, and it's gonna be what 17,000 strong. Uh, you know, pretty pretty great atmosphere. Honestly, I I love I love, um, how how they cheer for the you know I just love the atmosphere at Cole Center. But you know, so that's like the one scenario, and I think that's what happened against Northwestern is they had players get into foul trouble, and then. You know, I think I think Austin Davis and Isaiah Livers had notoriously or especially bad games that night. But you know, when you get into foul trouble and and you have you know your five or six guys that you're used to having, and suddenly you got to go a little deeper, how do you do? But I look at Wisconsin. I mean, they're they they came really close to beating Purdue and they came really close to beating Maryland. But I think. I just when I see Michigan versus Wisconsin, it's like who who do you trust more in Madison on Saturday, Brad Davison or Xavier Simpson? It's it's Xavier Simpson in my opinion, right. you know. And and so it's like other than Ethan Happ and, and same with Nate Raver Reavers and, and Iggy Brzdakis. I mean Iggy Brzdakis has been every every big game Michigan has had, he's shown up, you know. And it's it's I know he's he and Matthews are both kind of like having like quieter stretches or whatever, but it's like. When they needed him against Northwestern on the road, he was there. When they needed him against Villanova on the road, he was there. When they needed him against North Carolina, uh, Purdue, you know, it it just seems like this this team so far has really shown up when it when it needs to. You know, has has had that extra gear, the extra defensive intensity. And now I, I know North <laughs> Northwestern and Illinois are not defensive juggernauts by any means. But it's like he started to see a little, some more stuff click on offense for Michigan, where it was like, uh, you know, a month ago or two months ago, they were, they would it would be a, they would shoot when they probably could have made a smarter pass, or they would, or they would dribble, you know, they would get to the rim instead of settling for a jump shot. So it just seems like their decision making is a little bit better. Uh, so I personally, I think this one they get. I don't think they're gonna get Indiana. Because I, my friend was looking for tickets to that game. He said they're going for hundred ninety dollars on resale. So I think it's going to be, you know, Assembly Hall is just when it's like that. It's I can't imagine that is a. I I just I don't think they're gonna they're gonna survive. And I think Indiana is going to have a little bit of that desperation, and they have the talent to win. Right. You know, if if it all really clicks. So personally, I, if as far as the question, when do they lose first? I'm still saying Indiana. Not to say Wisconsin couldn't. Ethan Happ is. Uh, we'll see. What, I, we'll see how he goes against Teske. But you know, Indiana though, like I don't. When's the last time they were impressive? And so I'm looking at their schedule right now. They got schlacked by Duke. 
Mm-hmm. They beat Northwestern by two. They beat Penn State by two. They beat an unranked Louisville by one. They barely beat. They beat Illinois by eight. Mm-hmm. And then now they they're on a three game three game losing streak. streak. No, yeah, it's just uh, you all know. right. Hey, that's you. I agree though, and but I was yeah. laughing because of how like fair weather their fans apparently are. Um, <laughs> uh, Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star like wrote a great article on. Uh, like their fans like leaving the Nebraska game early and stuff and his his as you would expect his uh mentions were full of like hate from people who didn't have real names or real faces on their Twitter yeah. pictures and <laughs> you know and all that kind of stuff like just talking about how fair weather like they were in that game and how you know like I don't know this is really interesting but I mean I I, I don't know I think one of those two games, though, simply because it's on the road. I mean, yeah, it's the yeah. easiest way to pick that, you know, a slightly off night in a raucous atmosphere is, you know, in the Big Ten. I don't care if Wisconsin plays 500 ball in the Big Ten or not. Teams are going to have a really hard time in the Cole Center like they always do. So, um, you know, I, I agree. I think it'll be one of those two games. And I do. They're going to lose at some point. They have to. They're not, they're not going to run the table in this conference. Sorry, you don't run the table in college basketball. Period. You know, I think John Beeline pointed out last week. He said, um, "You know, it's been 43 years since the team went undefeated." And I think Kentucky had that run where maybe they they were going, they almost did or whatever. They got upset by Wisconsin in the tournament, but yeah, it it just doesn't happen. And I, you know, I think Spike Albrecht uh, talked to the Michigan Daily a, a week or two ago about the 2013 teams. Uh, 16-0 and start, and how after they lost, like, some of the players, they, you know, it's happy, but, like, we're like, okay, good, now we actually have something to work on in practice. Because, yeah, when you are when you beat 15 of 17 teams by double digits, when you are basically cleaning everybody's clock, and I do think Xavier Simpson and Charles Matthews have this team focused in a different way that very, very few college teams ever really get from their players. And so I think, you know, you talk about how this time of year is when players take off. I think I think that's true. I think there are going to be some players that figure things out. I actually think Iggy Brzdakis is going to have a very memorable February. That's my prediction. But, but at the same time, this team is already kind of playing with that, uh, that chemistry and that edge that beeline teams often get later in the season. And I think a lot of that's because of uh, Simpson and Matthews. And that's where maybe you do look at these road games. I mean, right now, I don't think I could individually like going game by game until they actually lose I don't think I could predict Michigan to lose because they just it seems like every they can win in a lot of different ways it seems like every time you're like oh I don't know this might be a tricky situation it's like they're up by 22 at the half or whatever and so yeah they, they've got something they've got something a little diff, little different but a, a statistic for for our listeners before we close at Michigan Beeline has a 650 winning percentage. He is 265 and 143 in Big Ten road games. He is 50, or I'm sorry, 43 and 58. So it's it's a drop off. It's it's so much harder, and that's not it's not a Beeline specific stat. That's just doing some math there. His winning he wins close to seven out of ten games when it's not Big Ten road games, and when it is. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a toss up. I think in the past few years, it's been about five hundred. 
You know, so it's it's a different battle. And Northwestern, you know, not to not to take away what Michigan has done, but Northwestern and Illinois are not the toughest road environments they're going to face. Absolutely. So we'll see what they look like. I do think them how they played at Villanova has kind of uh, has me a little bit more confident that they will be fine. I think this this team has that kind of discipline. I mean, they they really seem locked in on the the overall team success. I mean, I, I just did a story this week about how balanced they are. So if like Matthews goes out there and misses his first three shots, I don't think he's gonna like lose his cool like maybe other players would. Uh, same with same with most of this team. So we shall see. Uh, are you, so you're predicting them to lose tomorrow or on Saturday? I just if I guess if out of the next five games, that's the one that I. That's the one I look at, I guess. I don't know. I agree, like, you know, Wisconsin just still doesn't seem like the same, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know, you know. Again, it's like, do you see them losing at home? Because, like, I don't, not anytime soon anyway, right? Like, yeah. Kind of, Ohio State has kind of started to fall off a little bit. Minnesota, I think, is one of those teams that I think could be like a problem and then they lose to illinois by 30 (laughs) right that's what i'm saying though is like so you can't really say that so it's got to be either this game or indiana um and i don't know i just the voodoo i I don't know at cole center i don't i'm just guessing beeline has a pitiful record at the cole center i think last year might have been his second or third win there (laughs) i'm just pretending i'm playing poker and i'm just playing the odds right so i'm going with at wisconsin so yes i guess i'm predicting them to lose on saturday okay just because I know they're going to lose at some point. They've struggled in West, at Wisconsin before. You said you just mentioned Beeline specifically, and I just – I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at one point, it's it's shifted a little bit under Greg Gard. But, yeah, Beeline was like 1-10 or something absurd against, uh, against Ryan, Coach Ryan. So, anyway, though, but I will say, you know, we talk about, like, Minnesota. They're good, but then they slip up. We talk about Ohio State. They look good. They have some good wins, and then they slip up and lose at Rutgers. A um, couple of road surprising losses, by the way, for those keeping score. But it seems like every team has slipped up or, or, you know, crumbled at some point. You know, other than Virginia, everybody statistically has. Michigan hasn't yet. So we'll, it'll be really interesting to see what they do. You know, I, I think, again, I do think a lot of it's going to come down to foul trouble at the Cole Center. Uh, I don't think it's like... I think a lot of people like to overplay the calls that get, you know, I don't think it's that, but it's like Wisconsin, Wisconsin, when they get on a run, they're going to have their crowd going nuts. It's going to be a tough environment to, to create your own momentum again. We shall see. For Steve Lorenz on the phone lines, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories about basketball, football, and recruiting at the MichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Once again, this has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next week.